Um, I mean, last time I preached from Psalm 51, I, the, the reference was the scripture verse was verse 7. Um, I'm moving up to verse 8. <laughs> um, in my age, with my memory going, I have to, the, the things that God has just really, really reinforced in my life are, are the things that, that I can talk about. So this is, Psalm 51 is uh, something that has always spoken to me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read most of it to put it in context, but I'm not going to develop a context beyond that. Uh, there'd be a little bit more than last time, but, but we're mostly going to do Psalm 51, verse 8. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or else I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Let's pray. Dear God, I just ask you to be with us today as we read and study your word. Just speak to us your words, your words of truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, Psalm 58, the, the primary verse is, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. This, um, this follows 
It won't be the last time. Uh, I'm going to briefly go through it, talking about what the words generally mean in the, in the Hebrew that this comes from. Okay, you know, make me hear joy and gladness, okay? I mean, hear mostly means hear, but it also means obey and understand. You tell your kids, did you hear me? It's, it's more than the audible, but it's primarily audible. But what, you make me hear joy and gladness. Um, if I don't hear it, is it still there? It is. I mean, it's the old question, if a tree falls in the forest, nobody hears it. That's crazy, okay? <laughs> the joy and gladness of God's creation is there whether we hear it or not. And uh, the word they use for joy, it's, it's a knowledge or experience of God's. It's specifically joy that comes in response to God's blessings. Okay, um, and you make me hear joy and gladness. Gladness is the joy of celebration. So if, if I don't hear the, the joy... I should at least hear somebody else who's celebrating the joy. Um, then, you know, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Well, yeah, bones are bones, you know. <laughs> but, you know, in the Bible, they're often used as a seed of physical strength or good health. You know, let's talk about, you know, good bones. Uh, and, you know, broken bones, it, the, the bones you have broken, broken kind of, it usually means crushed, the way it's used here. It can mean just broken too. But what do bones do? They, if we didn't have bones, what would we be? Like a jellyfish, right? They give us structure. Give us our form. Um, you know, bones can be misshapen even if we don't know it. Um, I, I broke my left bone, my left arm, the ulna, when I was a kid, and it didn't heal right. It kind of healed like that. And uh, I was going to Air Force doctors. I was 14, I think, yeah. And, you know, back in the 60s, you... You're a kid and you go see an Air Force doctor. Well, you're a kid, it doesn't matter, okay? <laughs> I just have to treat the kids, but it was on the 4th of July, too, so that made it all the worse because the doctor had to come in. So you go there, they, there is a doctor there, but he's just, he's just there. So he calls in an x ray guy, you wait an hour or two, and he comes in and he's on call and he does the x ray, and then they had film to develop it. And, yeah, it's broken. Well, you could see it was broken. I mean, it was kind of bent right there, you know, but okay, well. Okay, we're out to call on a surgeon. Um, okay, so he comes in, and I probably got 10 times the dose of the radiation you would get back, you should have gotten. <laughs> because both the people, they weren't used to working with the equipment, and they didn't use any shielding or anything. In fact, 
the um, surgeon got a pretty good dose and is himself and because they're holding things around and, and no, nah, that one didn't turn out right. Let's do it again, you know. And so, okay, well, they, they didn't set up very good. But I didn't know about it. I went to see another, we moved and saw another doctor a few weeks later on and said, well, do we, this, this isn't right. But if we fix it, we're going to have to break it. It was a timely decision, so I didn't want him to break it. And he said, well, okay, well, really, it's the right length. <laughs> he said, it'll, it'll eventually grow in. That part on that side will grow, and then the part on the other side will grow. And it'll, it'll be, I can still feel it. It's, it's there, and when things happen, I can feel it too. You know? So <laughs> like my shoulder had problems, I can feel it down here. So we can have problems with our bones, it's, our, it's a structure. It's what gives us our, def, our, our form. Um, sometimes our bones need to be broken. It's nothing we want. I mean, we're, we're happy with the way things are. Why, why would I want that? But... Uh, it says, make, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Why would they rejoice? They would rejoice because now they're right. So I want to I talk about joy first. Um, um, you know, I, I was an engineer for a long time, mainly working, making scientific equipment. And so I dealt with a lot of scientists, and, and certainly more than half, certainly much fewer than half of them were theists. I won't say Christians, I would say even just theists. There are a lot of atheists. But they took joy in some things, they took joy in order. Knowing how things worked would be so excited. I mean, you might work for days or years on something, and you're able to, to discern how something actually does work, and you can prove it, and you can tell other people about it, and, and you're, you're so happy because there's order. The order was there before you knew it. But when you, when you recognize it, you say, well, yeah, things, things are right. Um, and if you think about it, it's, you know, our, our science, our, our, what we know about our science has, has almost all come from, from Christianity and Judaism, too. Just thinking that there is an order, uh, there, there is hardly any other religion that sees things being ordered. Um, gods, they think their gods are capricious. They do what they want to do. You just try to pacify them. You, and they're so un, unpredictable. I mean, you can look at, you know, the, you know, the Greek mythology, too. You know, I think, you know, Prometheus, I mean, and then Sisyphus, you know, pushing that boulder up the mountain every day, gets the top, it rolls back down, okay? Icarus, 
makes his wings out of wax. He loves flying. He's flying and flying higher and higher. Gets too close to the sun, they melt. He dies. His wings are gone. Um, you know, Prometheus, his experiences with fire. Um, and, and you think about it, too. I mean, there was... I remember... Man, this must be 50 years ago when I was in school. I read this. We had to read the Epic of Gilgamesh in college. The, the professor, he wanted us to become atheists like him. So, <laughs> so you got to read the Epic of Gilgamesh and say, yeah, there's another flood narrative like Noah's. Well, and, and that flood narrative, I remember the gods, they got together and they, and they, made, they made man, they made people. And all the deformities and everything that come from people that are on the earth were because the gods got drunk. I mean, it's, this, that's the story. That's the, you know, people, people believe this. But, uh, but our God is a God of order. And, you know, the, the song that we sang, the last one, you know, it talks about the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. There's so much, you know, everything is ordered whether we know it or not. Even, even the breaking of the bones. Um, I'm going to re- read Colossians 1, 16 through 17 first to get us kind of going along this line. This Talking about Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, when we look at the... i got to move my clock, sorry. <laughs> um, when... When we look at the world and we see what happens, we think, well, this is, the way, this is the way it is, so it has to be this way. It only has to be this way if God makes it this way and, and keeps it constant. I mean, it's a, that's just a big assumption that things have to always be the way that they are now. I mean... It's just like any other assumption if you look at it that way. But, but the Bible tells us that everything is held together because that's the way God made it. Um, I remember when I was in high school, there actually were, were more fundamental principles than there are now. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about a universe, a university. We try to narrow things down as much as we can into one. Um, and we go to some weird extremes to do that, and, and I'm sure that, well, it's interesting. We talked about the universe, and now we talk about multiverse, so the universe didn't work out too well <laughs> if you have to have an infinite number of universes to explain what's going on. But... Uh, you know, we, you know we, we read in John, you know, that, you know that, that Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By him all things were made. The logos, I mean, it's, it's more than word. It's, um, it's the logic, it's the reasoning, it's the laws, it's everything. I mean, it's, we're, Jesus was there in the beginning, making all this the way that it is now. And it's still that way. It's one thing about God. He doesn't change. He, he's outside of time. There's something about Jesus that brings him into time, but we'll talk about that more later. Um, and if you look into, remember when Job, Job had a lot of broken bones, right? And he complained. He complained to God. If we went through what Job went through, we'd all complain. We would all complain. But what did God tell Job? And there are five chapters when God is answering Job. I'm just going to read a little bit from chapter 38, Job 38, 1 through 7. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? The gravitational constant. Surely you know? Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its base where what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Where were you, Job? What part did you have in this? None. None of us did. We are the creatures. But notice that, the last verse I read, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Um, when, they, when this is my father's world, talks about the music of the spheres, that's where it comes from. The order that's in the universe, the music of the spheres, the, the harmony, of the way the planets revolve around the sun, the way the the moons revolve around our, the moon revolves around our planet and moons revolve around some other planets. All the laws that hold us in place and make it so predictable. It's interesting because first when you look at the sky, I mean, you remember there wasn't TV back then. There weren't even written books. For entertainment at night, you looked at the sky. You could see the stars a lot better than you can now. And you would see through the seasons how the different constellations would be in different places. But there were some other things that happened too. There were some stars that they would kind of, you'd see them coming out of the east and they'd rise. And they, they would be in different constellations and they were just wandering all over the place. They called them planets. Um, so People paid attention to the planets. And of course, 
That's where they got their astrology from, too, you know. <laughs> well, this planet sees in this part of the sky, so it's in this house, and this is going to happen. That's going to happen when you're born. But, um, but from looking at the way the planets went, I mean, the, you know, first of all, you know, you know Ptolemy, he said, well, okay, he, he just didn't observe anything. He said, well, okay, yeah, there are some planets, but they, everything is, is revolved around the Earth. It's, you have to have these crazy orbits, but, you know, you can make it work out if you get crazy enough. And that held sway for a long time, a couple thousand years, well, almost 2,000 years. It was at least 1,800 years. And then by the time of Kepler, Kepler, he was studying, he was, he was a theologian as well as a scientist and a mathematician. And he looked at this verse too. When the morning stars sang together. And, he, and people were looking for order in the universe. I mean, Copernicus, you know, before Kepler, said, okay, well, you know, these planets, they're influenced by the sun. And he starts saying, you know, they just do circles around the sun. And he was close, but he wasn't right. Other people were observing it, especially, you know, one guy named Tycho Brahe, he was an extremely good observer. He could see really small changes. Remember, they didn't have good telescopes. They didn't even know how lenses worked. It was kind of random. And he, his observatory was basically, you know, marks on a wall, and you sit here, and you look, and you line this up, and you line that up, and, and you time when this constellation comes. Of course, you don't time it with a stopwatch. You don't... You have to have a, a, a pendulum arrangement that you set every day, and it's not very accurate. So, you, so the day matters more, really, than the time when things happen. But he, he observed that Mars, um, I mean, he, he, he just wanted to make a complete map of these planets. But Kepler got a hold of his data after he died, and he knew that, that Tycho was really fastidious observer, and it, his observations did not match a circular orbit. They were off by a little speck from Mars. And so he looked at this, the music of the spheres, and he said, well, okay, there's a reason for this. So he, over... Over a few years, he, he developed his three laws of planetary motion, um, which explained why these things were in an ellipse. An ellipse is basically if you have two points and you have a, suppose you have a string that's tied and you just run it around there, you're going to get a, like an egg shape. Well, not really an egg shape, it's going to be more regular than an egg. But that, that's an ellipse. And that's really the, the shape that these orbits take. And the sun is at one of the focus points. And so, so Kepler realized that. And remember, this is, 
Kepler was a contemporary of Galileo. This wasn't too accepted. But the truth is the truth. There has to be a, I mean, I mean, it's not your truth and my truth and someone else's truth. Truth has to correspond with reality. And, and he knew that. And then, um, so I mean, he, he was just more, he just wanted to make it, make it make mathematical sense. He didn't care about the physics of it. But uh, it was about 70 or 80 years later, um, you know, Isaac Newton is the one who developed his laws of gravitation based upon the, the uh, planetary motions, the, the, the mathematics that Kepler had done. And you know what? If you, with Kepler and Newton and Einstein, you put that all together, well, a couple other people, and a whole bunch of engineers, you get a GPS. And they work, right? Um, so so there, there is truth and there is regularity and we can predict things. So this is, this is, this is what is only possible because of the regularity of the universe, of, of God's laws, how he designed things, how he built things. Uh, so I... Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm spending more time on this part than I should because this really isn't the important part, but I wanted to, to talk to you, to show you the regularity, in the, how, how things are so ordered in God's universe. Because it's, it's, it's so much bigger than that. It is so, so much bigger than that. I wanted to head there. But, I mean, now when we get to, you know, we talked about, you know, let me hear the sounds of joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. There are a couple other places in the Bible we can think of where that's happened. I'm going to skip some of them. You know what, I'm, I'll head to Jonah. You know, we've, we, we had some sermons on Jonah not too long ago, and, and probably a lot of you have read the second chapter of Jonah. That's the, the prayer that Jonah made when he was in the belly of the fish. He was praying to God. He was thanking God for deliverance, first of all. And a lot of people miss this part. He was thanking God for being, being delivered from drowning. He was inside the belly of the fish, but he was thanking God that he did not drown. Very few people swam, swam back then. Remember, it was a big storm. Um... And God prepared that fish for his salvation. And the last, the last words of, of his, his prayer, read it to you directly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the last half of Jonah 2 verse 9. He's praying to God, and he knows that God has sent this, this fish. I mean, I think he wanted out of it. Imagine what it smelled like. But he was thanking God. So I, I would say he would qualify for someone whose bones were broken, but he, he did hear the sounds of joy and gladness because he was still breathing.
But if you, re if you read chapter 2 in Jonah, you'll, you'll see the things that he's describing in there are not things in, inside the belly of a fish. They are things in the ocean. The currents, the seaweed, everything else. That's what he was delivered from. By that fish. So, if we get delivered by a fish, we, we need to thank God for the deliverance. Um, and of course, when you, another example is, is David. You know, we, in, the, in the psalm that we're reading, I mean, he, you know, he's praying to God. I, mean, I guess I need to say one more thing about Jonah. You know, why was Jonah in the sea? Okay, there was a reason he was there. He didn't fall off the ox cart on the dock. And now, you know, and now here David is, is praying in this psalm for deliverance too. Psalm 51, for his sin. I mean, his sin of uh, adultery and murder, lying. I'm sure you could find a couple more. So, these are, um, another, Psalm 40, verse, verses 11 and 12, this is also an, another psalm by David, but it, it's not speaking about the same incident. In this Psalm 40, verses 11 and 12, he says, Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord, let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me, for innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart fails me. So he's, he's saying, he's asking God, let your loving kindness and your truth continue to preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. And then he goes a little further. Um, my iniquities, my sins have overtaken me so that I'm not able to look up. Downcast. I, I, can't, uh, I can't face it anymore because of what I have done. I mean, that's not primarily a psalm of, of um, repentance, but... Uh, but it's there, too. That's where, that's where the problem's coming from. Now, I mean, sometimes, you know, we... Our, our problems are not, you know, caused by our own sin, but uh, many times they are. And, and, but our deliverance is from God. Remember, Jonah, it's, it's, uh, salvation comes from the Lord. You know what? We don't... We don't save ourselves. There's not a, a technique or something you have to sign on a dotted line. This is where we can get to the joy of our salvation. It doesn't come from us. And, and when we study the Bible, this is, this is the real order. And uh, if we go to later on in the psalm that we just read, it's... In fact, it's the title of the sermon. It's, it's the 12th verse. So he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Wow. It's interesting. I, I used to think, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Okay, well, yeah, I, there he is. He's committed these terrible sins. He does want this, the joy of, of God's salvation restored to him. But I, I, I looked at it as a one-off thing. I'll just like also, let me hear the sounds of joy and gladness. Let me hear it just this once. But you know what? This is an ongoing thing. Let me hear the sounds of joy and gladness now, 10 minutes from now, tomorrow. We need to pray that continually. Um, make me hear those. Um, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I need that joy every day. I need to think about it. It's, it's, it's just such a wonder that, that God would save me. I mean, you know, when you're talking to some people and you might be going to school with, you know, I say, well, you know, I, I can't really believe in a God that there's only one way through Jesus. Um, that, that's just way too narrow. You know, the thing is that there is a way. That's what we should be shocked at, that there is a way, Period. Uh, we, can't, we can't create another way. We need to, to rejoice that there is a way, that God calls us to himself. Um, whatever, whatever we invent is, um, is going to disappoint. In fact, I'll, I'll tell a, a, a quick well, I'll, no, I won't. I don't have time. But what I wanted to, to say is, you know, we, you know, the Bible is full of analogies. You know, Jesus used analogies. They're all through the Old Testament. They're all through the Bible. Um, you know, I remember when I went to school, Newark, might have had two computers. I think State Farm probably had one. Owens Corning had one. And the OSU Newark campus did not have a computer. But they still had computer classes. <laughs> Amazingly enough. Um, I can tell you about how they did it later, but it's, yeah. But... I was going to school then, and we did have an analog computer. An analog computer, I mean, they hardly exist anymore. But you can model with an analog computer what happens in real life, but mainly with addition, subtraction, multiplication. And, you can, and, and actually, you can do calculus with it. You can integrate, you can do derivatives. So, you. Basically, you find things that act like what you want to calculate. So you can have, you can look at a tank farm where you have all these maybe oil tanks all together, and they're all plumbed together, and at different levels. And I mean, you want the stuff from this tank to go to this tank, and how fast is it going to go? Well, you can do that with capacitors and inductors because they follow 
exactly the same mathematical laws. It's not an approximation. It's an exact simulation if you do it right. So we did have this analog computer. I mean, believe it or not, it had vacuum tubes. I mean, if something has vacuum tubes, then it's not supposed to work. But that's what we had. You can learn a lot through analogies. And the Bible's full of analogies. But analogies are not proof. You can make a false analogy. They're very, very powerful in arguing and discussing things, and we can learn a lot of truth from it. But analogy is not proof. But God's gift of salvation is not an analogy. Jesus, he is the God-man. He is not an analogy. He's not a copy. He's not a simulation. He is the sacrifice for our sins. You know, in the Old Testament, you had sheep and goats, and you, you have... Um, the scapegoat, you have all these other things. They pointed to the reality of Jesus Christ. The one and only. Um, and this is where our joy should be, our joy of our salvation. Analogies can be powerful, but this is not based on an analogy. This is just the straight truth. And... Um, I want, to, I want to read a couple of verses on that. The first one is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 20. This is, this is uh, uh, referring to Jesus. It's, it's, you know, he has delivered us from the... He's talking about God here. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Yeah, we read that earlier. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Remember we talked about the logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Jesus is the way. He is the way in a universal sense of the, all of creation as well. But he's also the way of our redemption. The way God is calling us to himself. And uh, there's, there's one further verse here that when we think about Jesus, 
is Hebrews 12, the first two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He went to the cross for the joy because he is the way, the truth, and the light. This is, this is what we need to take joy in. This is, this is cause for real celebration. And um, if, um, if God is calling you to this, I mean, I, I invite you to talk to me or another elder or Pastor Dan or a good Christian friend you've got. We want to celebrate with you if God is calling you to this. And, um, and this, is, this is true for anything. I mean, and I need to say, you know, you know as, as elders, you know, we're, you know, we're under shepherds under God, but you know, oh well, some have more wool than others, but, um, but this is not a lesson that I thought, well, I learned this 20 years ago, you know, so just get up here and talk about it. Two nights ago, I realized that, that there are some places where not, I am not, in, I am not enjoying, um, I am not rejoicing in the deliverance from God. Um, I'm not hearing the sounds of joy and gladness that, that are there that I had never realized before. Um, as Pastor Dan talked about earlier, I didn't know what he was going to say either, and he didn't know what I was going to say. But there is a lot of pain and hurt. But we have so much to rejoice over. We need to go there constantly. I'd say every day, but that's not enough. <laughs> but um, if you, if you, if if any, I mean, there are a lot of things that are glossed over here that I, some things I've left out. But um, if you have questions, you know, about anyway, just you know, talk to me or another elder. I mean, I'd be glad to talk to anybody. Um, and I'd even go into decaf time. Now, of course, today I'd start with decaf, but... <laughs> but um, but I, just, I just invite you, we, we all, we have so much to take joy in. And uh, I just want you to celebrate that in your lives. Thank you.